Good morning. Merry Christmas. Friends, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, and will be beginning in verse 14. This is where Mark writes about the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He then calls some of the disciples. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I, I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. They went on to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as like the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who had been possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, and they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and how you use your scriptures to speak to us and to guide us. Send your Holy Spirit to be with us now as we study it together today. Open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us this day. And may the words that I speak be used by you for your glory and your purpose. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So during the Sundays of the Advent season, we have been spending time considering how we might reintroduce Christ to Christianity or Christendom. And we've been looking at the Christmas story through the gospel narratives. First, we heard the story as told by Matthew with his preacher style, then by Luke, the physician, who tends to focus on the how and the why of the birth of Jesus. And then we considered it through the Gospel of John, the theologian. However, John doesn't write about the birth of Jesus. He tells the story differently, as Dr. Moore told us, pointing back to the very beginning of God's story and then explaining how it's all one big story of God's love and redemption. 
Today, we take a look at the Gospel of Mark. Mark doesn't share anything about the birth of Jesus. He begins years later. Mark is like a reporter, and his style is simple and concise, focusing more on what Jesus did than on what Jesus said. He begins the Gospel by saying this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he very briefly tells us about John the Baptist and the baptism and temptation of Jesus. It's almost as if Mark can't wait to get to what he really wants to tell us about, the life and ministry of Jesus. And once he gets started, Mark moves from one story of healing and teaching to another, painting an action-packed picture of a day in the life of Jesus. To really capture the essence of Mark's message, we have to keep in mind that one of Mark's primary concerns was to strengthen the faith of the community, a community that was living in turbulent times. And Mark is trying to help them understand the turmoil that they were experiencing from a theological perspective. In today's reading, we see that almost immediately after calling the four disciples to follow him, they all head off to Capernaum, a fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the place that would soon become the central location for Jesus' ministry throughout Galilee. And the first thing that Jesus does when he arrives is go to the synagogue. Now, worship in the synagogue included a series of public readings from the scriptures, followed by a sermon or a teaching from someone in the congregation. And on this particular day, Jesus has been selected to speak. And his teaching was much different than the other voices of the day. The things that Jesus said, his proclamations, challenged the norms of the day and the expectations that the people had long held. And yet, as he spoke, the people were amazed. In fact, the Greek word that's used here for amazed is very strong. It means to be so amazed that one is practically overwhelmed, almost to the point of being frightened. What Jesus was teaching was much different than what the people were accustomed to hearing from the scribes, who at the time were the theology experts and the most highly educated members of the community. The scribes had the authority to make legal judgments on questions regarding the scriptures. So many people went to them for advice or direction. And when the scribes taught, they were always very careful to quote whatever source or authority they based their words and decisions on. So for example, they would say something like, Moses says in the book of Genesis, or Rabbi so-and-so teaches this. So essentially, their teaching always rested upon something outside of themselves. This is what made Jesus' teaching different. Jesus claimed intrinsic authority, an authority that comes from within. He didn't cite the opinions of rabbis or religious authorities. He simply said, this is the way it is. For Jesus to teach in this way was startling to his hearers because his assertions claimed a special kind of authority, one that went far beyond anything that they had heard before more like the authority of a prophet or of a representative of God. It was radical. 
because it communicated that Jesus believed himself to be God's anointed one. We see this in more detail in the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel, while Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown. And there at the synagogue, he is handed a scroll to read from. And while he's unrolling it, he looks and finds a specific spot where he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, claiming his role as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic words. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall in the synagogue that day? Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus speak? Imagine looking around the room and, and taking in how the others were responding to what Jesus was saying and to the authority with which he was speaking. Imagine witnessing the man with the unclean spirit in the synagogue as he cried out and was then healed by the power and authority of Jesus' words. As we read the Gospels, we see and hear story after story that point to Jesus' prophetic role and the purpose for which he was sent to bring the good news through his ministry of teaching and healing. In Mark's account, we find these rapid-fire stories of healing, beginning with the man with the unclean spirit in the synagogue, and then after, Mark continues on in quick succession, telling of how Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law and a paralyzed man, and then goes on to tell stories of the deaf, the blind, and lepers that are healed, and demons that were cast out, and sinners that were forgiven. And as we look at Jesus carry out his ministry, there's an important theme that we should be careful not to miss. For Jesus, care of the spirit and care of the body go hand in hand. And how with the good news that Jesus teaches and preaches, the arrival of God's kingdom is breaking through here on earth. The kingdom of God is now present because the king has arrived and entered into human history. But of course, this was not what the people were expecting. And understandably, some were having a hard time grasping this new and radical message and understanding it to be good news. You may remember some years ago, a series of commercials for an investment firm, E.F. Hutton. Their slogan was, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Clearly, their marketing strategy was to claim authority in their marketplace. And I think that at the very least, they were successful in gaining name recognition. But for today's purpose, I'd like to use it as a prompter to ask us to consider this. Who do you listen to? Who or what do you give the authority to speak into your life? I think it's an important question as we enter into a new year. Who do you listen to? And who or what do you give the authority to speak 
into your life. Some of you may remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Indiana sets out to rescue his father who's gone missing. After a successful rescue, the plot turns into an action-packed race to find the mysterious Holy Grail. In one of the final scenes of the movie, they find the chalice in an ancient temple that of course is in the process of collapsing. People are running for their lives as the walls are crumbling and the ground breaks open and the chalice falls deep into a crevice. Hanging onto the ledge with one hand, Indiana reaches desperately with his other hand to retrieve the chalice and becomes almost entranced as he's trying to reach it. Everything's falling apart around him and he's zeroed in on the chalice when he hears a voice. It's his father, who now has hold of his hand, and he says, Indiana, let it go. He lets go, and he's pulled out of the crevice, and together they escape just in the nick of time. His father's voice helped him to look at the situation differently. And sometimes I think that's what we need, something to help us look at things differently something to help us reframe our thinking or change our behavior or help us to realize that we're listening to the wrong voice or following the wrong authority. Sometimes we need something to show us that we've gotten off track and we need to turn and go in a different direction. There's good news for us today. That's why Jesus came. I think that it's safe to say that we've all come today in need of some kind of healing. We're human and we sin. We make mistakes. We judge. And sometimes we try to be our own authority, thinking we can get along just fine on our own. At times we can be more concerned about our own gain at the expense of others. Or maybe our pride and pain blind us to the needs of those around us. Guess what? This doesn't make us bad. It means we're human and we need help. We need some good news. Some of us are sick or tired or grasping for hope. Others are carrying heavy burdens or maybe have experienced something traumatic like the death of a loved one or the death of a dream. There is brokenness all around us and within us, and we need some good news, don't we? Here it is, Jesus. Jesus is our good news. He came to bring good news to the poor, to the sick, to the broken and the unclean. He came to bind up your broken heart and release you from the things that hold you captive, and to set those who are imprisoned, body, mind, and spirit, free. He came to comfort those who are mourning and give hope to those who have lost it. The good news for us today is the same good news that Jesus brought to the people in the synagogue in Capernaum and Nazareth and throughout Galilee. We're reminded of it each time we come to worship, and every time we open up our Bibles to read his holy word. Friends, there's good news. 
The kingdom of God is near. Jesus has come to heal us and set us free from the burdens that we carry. He came to clean us up and dust us off and to help us to follow in his footsteps because we too can be carriers of the good news and conduits of God's grace and healing to people and situations around us. Some time ago, a friend of mine shared a story with me that really touched his heart. It was something that left an impression on him because, as he said, it illustrates how we all are given opportunities to be a living example of Jesus' message. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. It's about a boy named Shia who was attending a school in New York that served children with disabilities. At a fundraiser, Shia's father was asked to speak, and he shared a personal story of his struggle to understand God's grace in light of his son's challenges. As he began, the audience was startled when he asked this question, where is the perfection in my son Shia? Everything God does is done with perfection. But my child cannot understand things as other children do. My child cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection? He asked again. The audience was stunned by his question and pained by his obvious anguish. And then he went on and said, I believe that when God brings a child like Shia into the world, the perfection that he seeks is in the way people respond to the child. And then he shared this story. One afternoon, Shia and I were walking past a park where some boys he knew were playing baseball. Shia asked, do you think they'll let me play, Dad? He knew that his son was not at all athletic and that most boys would not want him on their team. But Shia's father understood that if his son was chosen to play, it would give him a sense of belonging. So Shia's father approached the boys, one of the boys on the field, and asked if he could play. The boy looked around for guidance from his teammates, and getting none, he took matters into his own hands and said, well, we're losing by six runs and it's the eighth inning. I guess Shia can be on our team, and we'll try to put him up in the ninth inning. Shia was given a glove and told to go out to play in center field. In the bottom of the eighth inning, Shia's team scored a few runs, but was still behind by three. In the bottom of the ninth inning, the team scored again, and now there were two outs. The bases were loaded with a potential winning run on base, and Shia was scheduled to bat next. Surprisingly, someone handed Shia the bat. Everyone knew their chances were all but impossible because Shia didn't even know how to hold a bat let alone hit the ball. As Shia stepped up to the plate, the pitcher moved in a few steps to lob the ball softly so that Shia would at least be able to make contact. With the first pitch, Shia swung awkwardly and missed. One of Shia's teammates came up behind him and together they held the bat and faced the pitcher, waiting for the next pitch. The pitcher again took a few steps forward. As the pitch came in, Shia and his teammates swung, and together they hit a slow ground ball to the pitcher. The pitcher picked it up and could have easily thrown the ball to first base. Shia would have been out, and it would have ended the game. But instead, the pitcher threw the ball in a high arc out to right field, 
far beyond the first baseman's reach. Everyone started yelling, Shia, run to first base, run. Never in his life had Shia run to first base. He shuffled down the baseline, wide-eyed and startled. By the time he got there, the right fielder had the ball and could easily have thrown it to the second baseman. But he understood what the pitcher's intentions were, so he threw the ball high and far over the third baseman's head. Everyone yelled, run to second, Shia, run to second. Shia ran towards second base, and as the runners ahead of him circled the bases towards home, Shia reached second base and the opposing shortstop turned him in the direction of third base and said, run to third, Shia. As Shia rounded third, the boys from both teams ran behind him screaming, run home, Shia, run home. Shia ran home, stepped on home plate, and all the boys lifted him up on their shoulders and made him the hero because he had just hit a grand slam and won the game for his team. With tears, rolling down his face, his father softly said, that day, those 18 boys allowed themselves to become conduits of God's perfection. I think that Shia's story is also a good illustration of how we too are able to carry the good news of Jesus Christ forward, sometimes in big ways and sometimes in very simple ways. God can use us as instruments of healing and of good news for other people. And in the process, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God unfolding before us. The good news of Jesus Christ changes people and circumstances and lives. It makes joy and peace possible in the midst of turmoil and trouble. It has the power to heal and to transform and it can compel us to follow in Jesus' footsteps and do things like love our enemies, to seek peace where there is conflict, to look for opportunities to bless others through acts of kindness, to reach out to those in need with compassion and understanding, even when it's hard, and to reorganize our lives and priorities in the way that Jesus has shown us, and be his disciples. Some of these things come easier to us than others, but all are possible as we turn our hearts towards Jesus and believe the good news and in the healing power of God's ongoing redemptive work in our lives and in the world around us. Friends, this is good news for you and for me. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, sometimes it's hard to admit the broken or unclean things in our lives, and yet the truth is without our brokenness, we would never know how much we need you. Without it, we might not recognize the light that shines into our broken world in the form of a humble king who came to us as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who knows that no matter how unworthy we feel or human we might be, that we are never beyond your grasp or your grace, the grace of a Savior who gave everything 
so that we might live and be healed and whole. We can't thank you enough, God, that you are in the business of healing and restoring the unclean and broken things in our lives. And as we leave this place today, God, help us to organize or reorganize our lives and our priorities so that we may join you in your amazing story of love and redemption. And may your Holy Spirit enable us to be conduits of the good news to those around us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.